and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of The Dex Legacy. What began as a one-shot episode on the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast has turned into its own show. The Dex Legacy is grimdark political sci-fi written by Emily Inkpin. It's the story of the ambitious Nathaniel Dex, who has parlayed his weapons manufacturing company into a major political power. It's also about the scientist working for him, and about his three adopted children who are genetically engineered super soldiers. The show is produced by Chris Gregory of Alternative Stories, who also voices Nathaniel Dex. Episode 1, The Bomb, follows the activity within Dex Industries the day their latest weapon is deployed, a bomb that destroys an entire country. I spoke to both Emily and Chris remotely. Why don't you both introduce yourselves and tell me a little bit about your background and what you do for Dex Legacy. Okay. Yeah. Um, Chris, do you want to go first or do you want me to go we're, first? We're so English, aren't we? No, you <laughs> After you. <laughs> All right. Then. Um, so okay. my name's um, Chris Gregory. I run an audio drama, audio fiction production company called Alternative Stories. Uh, we have a podcast called Alternative Stories and Fake Realities, which um, so the, the Dex Legacy is my other podcast. Uh, it's like I'm having a fair, an affair behind the back of my first podcast. Uh, so I produce uh, the Dex Legacy. I do all the sound design, sound effects, and I play Nathaniel Dex for my sins. And there are many. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Uh, I'm Emily Inkpen and I write The Dex Legacy. Uh, so I'm like the writer of Chris's Dirty Mistress, I guess. Um, <laughs> I am a novelist. I'm a script writer. I write short stories. And um, my debut novel is repped by the John Gerald Literary Agency and it's currently in publisher submission. And in my day job, I'm a copywriter for Marmalade Game Studio. Can you each of you tell me a little bit about your creative background? In terms of um, production and sound design stuff, I'm from a kind of music production background. So that's where I mm -hmm. learned uh, my way around a digital audio workstation. I've always been interested in books, writers and literature in general. And I've always been interested in radio drama. Uh, I'm sure we'll mention uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy radio series at some point because we are both huge you know fans what? of I'm it. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I, when I was a kid, I was listening to that all the time. Uh, I had the complete tapes, and then I actually took a trip across country uh, from one side of the United States to the other, and I, I think I probably burned out all those tapes listening to it across the, the roads. Yeah. I, I used to yeah. be able to recite it off by heart, and I'm sure I still can hold sections of it. So, so that was I it. can for the first bit, the first the first series. I, I can basically do that, yeah. That's amazing. So, um, so anyway, yeah, you, so you were listening to audio dramas? Mm, yeah. Yeah, and, and I just thought a couple of years ago, I thought I'd love to have a go at actually making an audio drama. And I'd I'd written one and put it out on my own Alternative Stories podcast and just did more and more. And um, one day, 
which turned out to be quite a fateful day. I met Emily and asked if she would like to do a drama. Um, so we did one episode on alternative stories, and and now, as you as you know, we're doing a whole season. Emily, what's your creative background? So I've been a writer for a long time. I mean, I was one of those kids who was writing books um, when I was in high school. I did English Lit at university. I founded the creative writing group there um, and got really nerdy and creative with a bunch of fantastic people who I'm still in touch with. Yeah, I just never really stopped writing. I, you know, I also do some art and and I sort of dabble in that area. I'm a bit musical as well. And I did a lot of theatre when I was growing up as well, which has come in really handy when writing the scripts and providing a bit of direction as well to the um, actors because I've been on the other end of it. Do you play an instrument or sing? Um, I do actually. I play piano and I play cello and I sing classically. Yeah. Chris, I know you said you did production work. Do you play or sing as well? I, I don't sing. I'm the only one of my band not allowed a microphone on stage, <laughs> uh, not, e- not even for backing vocals. Uh, but I do play uh, guitar. I play lead guitar. I play a bit of mandolin and various other things with strings like banjos, lap steel, <laughs> things like that. Okay. So you, um, you met and you talked about doing an audio drama. Um, what happened next? We, we kind of had this idea um, to make a well, one-off episode, really, which went out on alternative stories. Yeah, because you got in touch with me and you said, could you write an episode or would you be interested? Mm. And then you wanted me to write something that was in my book, my my debut novel. And I was thinking, I'm not sure I want to do that because if it gets picked up by a publisher, they might edit things. So I uh, went for writing a prequel episode, which is set 11 years before book one begins. And it sort of takes people through a significant event in the history of those books. So that's where episode one kind of comes from, from a sort of writing point of view. Right. So the the Dex Legacy audio drama is really a prequel to your novel. Yes. Which is an interesting way to approach it. I was wondering why you decided you wanted to do audio drama here, but it, it does sound like it kind of happened organically. Had you done audio drama before? No, not at all. But being a huge fan of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, as we've already uh, touched on, and (laughs) having listened to other audio drama, I knew exactly what Chris was on about. And I had to kind of jump at the chance. I thought, well, this is going to be brilliant fun. And it still is. (laughs) Chris, I understand you wanted her to bring something from her novel onto the show. Is that right? Uh, yes, I mean that was my initial point of contact, I guess, because I I, I knew that Emily had written, uh, I think it was one novel at the time, maybe two, and so I just thought, oh, I'd, I'd quite like a bit of that on the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast. And thing about audio drama is science fiction works so well in audio drama in ways that you know on a small budget you can't really make a very convincing science fiction screenplay or, or you know short film or whatever mm. so so yeah. it works really well in audio drama i just wanted to do some science fiction i mean i've, I've done bits and pieces of sci-fi one-off dramas with alternative stories but i could see with emily's work that there was a lot more to it and i really liked that when i saw the script that she submitted i got very excited indeed and just immediately started in my head casting it and planning the uh, the sound effects for it Emily. Can you tell me a little bit about what this story means to you? 
the books that came first are based on characters that I sort of started imagining when I was like 15 years old. So these characters have been with me for a very long time. And as a result, all of them are incredibly dear to me. And I think that was one of the things that gave Chris the sense that there was much more to this because when we got the actors involved, I did little intro videos for all of their characters where I told Mm. them all about the characters, all about the history, all about everything because they meant so much to me. This wasn't just a one-off episode of something. It was an introductory episode to a whole world that I was building and that I'd worked on and that I knew so well. I, I, you know, I know it is real to me. It's incredibly important to me. I, I, yeah, it's, it's fundamental to me, but I mean, it's, it's grimdark sci-fi. So unlike the Hitchhiker's Guide, which is obviously is, it's comedy on a grand scale. This is, this is not comedy. It has very dark humor, like all self-respecting grimdark does. Um, but nobody's inherently good. Nobody's inherently bad. Well, actually, no, that's, that's a lie. Some people <laughs> in this series are very definitely bad people. Um, but they're, they're bad. They're bad people. Yeah. Chris's, Chris's character is probably like the biggest. Um, yeah, no, but they're, they're bad people with vision. <laughs> Okay, we we can give them that. They have vision. Sure. And um, yeah, I mean, it explores the monetization of war and making war into a business. So it's it's all about that. Why is that a yeah. topic that interests you? I think I was raised cynical. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I was I was of that generation where um, we I was sort of becoming politically aware at around the time of the nine eleven attacks and the war in Iraq kicking off, and there was so much controversy around that and a lot of disillusionment as well that went along with it. And yeah, it was it was a very difficult time politically. And I think that had a profound impact on me growing up and the way I sort of view politics and the world and war as a kind of business, really, and the, the motives behind it not being particularly necessarily honourable. Yeah. Chris, what drew you to this material enough that made you excited to want to produce it? It's the depth and breadth of the world that she's created. But in terms of the story, all sorts of resonances. Unfortunately, I, I find resonances with what's going on at the moment in, in Ukraine, but, but also about the fact this increasing dominance of corporations in our world. And um, in the, the Dex legacy, the corporation, uh, Dex Industries, has pretty much set itself up as a, as a country in its own right. Um, it, it has. Uh, as, yeah. as the president yeah. uh, of that yeah. country, it has so many parallels. And, and whilst it's in, a, in an imagined world with imagined characters and um, an imagined political situation, I think anyone listening to it will, will draw parallels with things that are going on in our world at the moment. And I think that's what the best sci-fi does. It does take you to other worlds and other places, but actually make you think more about your own world and your own place. Yeah. You know, here in the United States, we're still struggling with the recent Supreme Court ruling that said that corporations are people in terms of (laughs) free speech. So um, I I totally get you there. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I I like sci-fi myself um, Mm -hmm. is that it's a chance to explore where we're going and to take issues that are in the present and stretch them out to say, all right, what happens if we let these continue? Um, Mm -hmm. and, And that's always been something that I think attracts me to sci-fi more than say some other genres. What do you both like about sci-fi? I would say that it's it's a genre that very rarely says no to ideas. You know, anything you can, you can think of, you can put in a sci-fi context and mm. it works. It's got broad horizons. 
you find philosophical ideas explored in sci-fi like you, know, you don't get that necessarily in, in other genres and I like that it's the sort of stretching of thought and ideas that sits behind so many of you know so many great sci-fi works. From a reading perspective I find it really challenging that I can be I can be taken to these these other worlds. I, I love the the world building aspect of it, which you also get in fantasy. Um, to be fair, mm-hmm, yeah. I think I think the two fantasy and sci-fi, you know, they merge, and there's a point where you you can't tell one from the other really. From an audio drama perspective, and as a producer, your imagination for sound design is is pretty much your limit. Really, uh, there's there's nothing that you you can't do, you can't imagine. I liken it almost to working with with Emily's scripts. It's as though I'm an accompanying musician, which I which I often am in a band context, um, yeah. just trying to put the songwriter and singer's work in the best possible light. So I'm not centre stage. I'm off to one side in the shadows, but hopefully <laughs> doing something that complements. And, and I think with sci-fi, you know, there's lots you can do in that, in that context. I will say that the music in Dex Legacy is very effective. It has that sort of classic sci-fi feel to it. And it also matches the sort of very grand and wide scale of the storytelling itself. So, yeah. So, oh, shout yeah. out to. Um, Dr. Alan Stroud, who is the uh, composer of our soundtrack, fantastic figure in in British sci-fi, and it's, it's just brilliant. Yeah, he's the president, is it, or chairman, secretary of the British Sci-Fi? He's Association? the chair of the British uh, Science Fiction Association. Yeah, and Emily, you're you're affiliated with them too, right? Um, yeah, I'm the social media officer. Yep. Great, <laughs> Chris. You brought up the world building. I agree. There is a lot of world building that has to happen, I think, in this particular story. You've got an entire backstory for humanity up to this point. You're telling us about a brand new planet. There's a discovery of a new element. There are cities and worlds at war. Not to mention, you also have seven or eight main characters that each have their own storylines and so forth. I've always been given the advice, no one in the world will care about your world building more than you will. As a mother, right? <laughs> that you know, it yeah. doesn't matter how many notebooks you fill, you're the only one that's going to love it as much as that. That being oh, said, yeah. I know that people do love world building. So I guess my question is how do you balance the need to communicate information and flesh out the world to make it vivid and make it real for the, the listener versus the dreaded info dump or giving too <laughs> much and flooding people with too much information? What's your approach to that? So when it comes to writing, I'm character first. So I know what this world has been through. I know all of the history, but the only thing you should be describing to people is what the characters can see and what matters to them on a daily basis. That's how you keep it under control. I mean, I think that if you dwell too much on on the world, you are in danger as a writer of overindulging and taking your characters to places that you yourself think are cool. That's not the way you should be telling stories. I sort of avoid it really with the audio drama because 
you can't. In the style that we have, we don't have info dumps. We don't have a narrator. We have just characters talking. And despite this, the feedback that I've had before has been, oh, it's such a vivid introduction to your world. And I'm thinking, well, that's interesting because at no point do the characters say, oh, look, there's some world out there. Let me just describe it to you. It's, it's literally just the characters talking to each other. But people still get a really good... Like they, they get an image in their heads of what's going on, even if you say nothing. It's, it's really interesting. One of the more common questions I've, I've found myself asking Emily begins, what is the tech level of dot, dot, dot <laughs> in your world? It started in the first episode, The Bomb, with what, what is the tech level of you know, guns? Am I using laser sound effects or am I using right. bullets <laughs> um, sound effects? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this has developed through several um, phases of what is the tech level of uh, up to a recent episode where I had to ask what the, what is the tech level of military bands in your, in your world? <laughs> so are we talking uh, trumpet like instruments? Uh, because we had a kind of homecoming scene for some of the characters. So, um, so yeah. yeah. Uh, and and I don't <laughs> think there's ever been an instance where Emily said, Oh, I haven't thought of that. Um, so, oh, well, no, I think I didn't think of that I, on that occasion. I, I, well, I might not have told you that I didn't think of that, but when I got your message, I was thinking, um. <laughs> <laughs> now we find out. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I assumed you had a folder with all of this in. But, um, but ju- just in terms of um, sort of world building and, 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 and I guess character building, one of the things that we've done as part of the season, uh, season one of the Dex Legacy is to introduce a few um, interlude episodes. They're shorter episodes, but they focus in on particular characters or particular situations in a bit more detail than we would in a full episode. They're good, I think, for telling us a little bit more about the world and the background of the characters and, and, and the political situation. You bring up a really interesting point, Chris, is that I think a lot of world building can be conveyed through sound and the audience maybe not even be aware that they're, you're building the world that way. You know, if someone leaves the room and the door makes a whoosh as it opens, yes. right, that tells you something about the technology in the room. And that's a really smart way to use the medium of audio drama to help world building without having to clutter it up with, you know, dialogue mm. or extra words. Dex Legacy is uh, a prequel to the events in your novel. It follows the, the Dex Corporation, headed by Nathaniel Dex, mm-hmm. um, who is interested in military power and weapons. He has two primary scientists working for him, Osa, who is a weapons maker, and then Devek, who is a genetic engineer. And he also has Tristan, who is an advisor slash spy master type. Is that kind of? Yeah, master of information, really. Yeah. One of the weapons is the bomb, which is the, the title of the first episode which was invented by Osa, and it's a devastatingly powerful weapon, greater than anything that's ever been seen, and it wipes out an entire country with a single explosion. But the other weapon that he has at his hand are three genetically engineered children that he has adopted, Ren, Isra, and Varian. We come to understand the three of them are genetically engineered to be super soldiers. These three have also been raised in relative isolation from the rest of the world, so they really have no sense of what it's like to live in a larger society. They really only do whatever their father orders them to do. Well, that went very well, I think. Osa, you just d- destroyed a-, a country with with one bomb. No, Devek, I did not. How can you think that? 
I was told to create the most scientifically advanced weapon the world has ever seen. I did not sell it, and I did not detonate it. When Vary and Isran Ren go into battle and kill a multitude, do you feel responsible? That's different. And how is that? Hmm? Oh, you let the responsibility rest on their shoulders. That is cold. No? They're children still. Just 15, Varian is 16, hardly responsible adults. Do not compare my children to... to... The, this! When I'm thinking about this, there, there's several things that come to my mind. Obviously, with the, the bomb and the explosion, we have shades of World War II and the bombs that mm-hmm. were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and the Manhattan Project, where Osa, the bomb engineer, is untroubled, I think, with... <laughs> um, unlike Oppenheimer was, about her contribution to the destruction. She sees this as an opportunity to advance science and uh, energy technology. And then, of course, we also have these very powerful people that are incredibly ambitious. I mean, everyone seems to be fairly ambitious. I almost feel like it's a bit of a Greek tragedy um, <laughs> in, the, in the making, right? That there's, we've got these, these fantastic sort of gifted people that are special and incredibly powerful. And yet, you know that they're just full of flaws and something is going to go wrong. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about your approach to setting up these kind of themes right from the beginning and what you wanted to do with this first episode. As episode one is, is a very specific moment in Dex history. I, I really wanted to explore it in detail because it's significant. And it's mentioned in the books, but it's one of those things that no one really wants to dwell on it. It's the elephant in the room still 11 years later. It's very, very fundamental to Deck's history. Writing the episode gave me the chance to dive into the events of that day and also all of the characters. Now, the books are from the point of view of Varian, Isra and Ren. But this audio drama has given me the chance to also see things from the points of view of Nathaniel, Osa, Devik and Tristan which is new for me and very interesting, sort of seeing the, the position of the adults and their view of things in contrast to the children and how they see the world. The adults are sort of in charge and they've definitely institutionalized these children and these children are weapons and they go out and fight. But the ones who are in charge of them are not military, they're business. Mm-hmm. And so the children are having to work out for themselves how to make the military work. They're, they're having to, to sort of take on that role. You're really telling the story from a very high level in terms of the themes, right? That we're dealing mm-hmm. with the people at the top. You're sort of really focusing on the decisions that are being made by the people that have the power and the impact those have. What made you want to focus on that as opposed to maybe a more personal down on the ground level kind of story? I think it's because I like to see the world as a whole. And when you're talking about a global player, it's it's normally like the, the people who are in charge at a, at a high level are the ones that make all of the decisions that affect everybody. I wanted to play with that and see the, the world like pieces on a chessboard and, and how they move and get into the head of Nathaniel Dex, who's sort of in charge of all of this. And what's really fun is seeing all of those people at the top, but then getting into their personal lives and sort of making it very small. So a lot of the episodes start off with 
episodes, they're in a library drinking tea. Okay, um, Nathaniel Dex's office is in the library. And Chris and I have this running joke that for a sci-fi audio drama, a lot of the action takes place in the library while drinking tea, um, <laughs> which is incredibly English now I'm saying it. Um, but it's, it's like, yes, all of this crazy stuff is going on in the world. But what it comes down to is two people in a library drinking tea and having a conversation. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the decisions that influence millions of lives are made in little rooms yeah, uh, over cups exactly. of tea. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I just add to that. I, I'm, some of that stuff, it's the, it's the behind the scenes um, decisions that I'm sure guide all of our politics, really. It's probably not what's said in, you know, the House of Commons in, in London, but the conversations that are had walking over the road to the House of Commons um, mm. that, that actually then get repeated. We will be the greatest military power on the planet and a direct threat to nobody. Selling bombs is one thing, Nathaniel. Selling full military services is another. Who has that kind of money? Building and maintaining a military force is expensive, Tristan. We're in the industry. We know that better than anyone. So you really think countries will choose to hire Dex military in times of need rather than maintain their own military power constantly? Yes. And you believe you can keep Dex Island neutral? Avoid being dragged into international politics? Yes. How? Because they will fear us. If all goes well, after today, they will all fear us. We can see the destiny of a, of a nation through the conversations had over a cup of tea. And you know, I've had to ask the question, what's the tech level of cups and saucers <laughs> in the world? <laughs> it's, it's bone china only. That's the oh, Naturally, naturally. <laughs> well, yes. uh, but then, of course, the, the, the teapot is self-heating with a fusion coil induction inside. So, oh, you know. miniature <laughs> perpetual generator, yes, That's of Osa's own design. <laughs> How do you both measure success? So success for me as a writer is if the characters stand strong and complete and the story works, then I'm happy. And obviously success, people listening and liking it and, you know, at least pr appreciating the story. Um, that's also huge in all of this. But as a writer, I think sort of integrity of the story and the character is the bedrock of the success, really, from my point of view. Chris? Putting something together that you're, you're happy with in terms of, you know, the way that it's designed, the way that it's written, the way that it's acted. So it's as good as you think it could be. So it's the quality of the, the finished product. And then obviously you want people to listen to it. It's no good having a, a great product and only two people listen. And I think particularly people saying they like it and, you know, reviews, ratings are always appreciated. And I think probably more than those doing the reviewing and rating ever realize. What lessons have you learned about creating audio drama that you can share with people who might want to create their own? I'll start with work with a great writer. You know, you can get away with an awful lot if your story is great and your script is great. So there's there's number one. Second one along the same lines is work with great actors because a great actor delivering a really well-written line, uh, you don't have to do a lot as a sound designer. Just, just make it clear right. enough that people can hear it. And then the third one, which I, I think is particularly pertinent at the moment, do yourself a favor, even though you're dying to get your episodes out there, record the whole series before you start putting them, <laughs> putting the first one out. Um, I, I, I know Emily's laughing because this is not what we've done. 
every fortnight we, we have a race against time to get a new episode ready and out there. I'm just going to back up what Chris said. Yes, definitely write it all ahead of time. We had a bit of um, fun with season one because obviously the first one was a standalone episode. Uh, but yeah, the biggest lessons, I mean, I would say trust your actors, trust your producer and trust your audience. Because as a writer, you know, your listeners will fill in the gaps that you leave and they'll do a really, really good job of it. Of course, you're now in a great deal of danger, Osa. Once the shock subdues, people will be angry and they will come after you. <laughs> Let them. It's about time I was on a death list or two. It's always given such glamour to Devek's work. Has it? I will be providing you with protection. <laughs> We'll see how amorous it feels when you're tripping over his agents every time you turn around. Devik, those agents are the only reason you're alive. If Nathaniel let me keep the children at home, I wouldn't need your agents. You think they would protect you, Devik? After everything you've done to them? One day, my friend, you will realise that they do not love you. I think maybe the opposite... If I were you, I would sleep easier knowing they're fighting other people a long way from here. It's why I like bombs and guns. They have no thoughts. They won't one day wake up and think, Osa made me a killing machine, but I did not want to be a killing machine. I think maybe I don't like Osa so much anymore. Questions of accountability are central to every episode of The Deck's Legacy. It's high-level political sci-fi that deals with themes of human ambition, greed, and the limits of morality. And like all good sci-fi, it encourages us to think about our own motives and situations in the here and now. You can listen to The Dex Legacy on most major podcast platforms, or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them, and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or if you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our webpage at thefirstepisodeof.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time.